Hey everyone, we've got another great overtime episode for you. This is the preview for it. If you'd like the whole thing, become a patron at patreon.com slash workstoppage. It's what allows us to do the show. It's why we never run ads. And uh, if you can't afford to become a patron right now, we totally understand. Go ahead and hop in the Discord and talk to one of the admins, and we would be happy to give you access to the patron feed. As always, labor peace is not in our interest, and solidarity forever. So at this point, we've gone over what we have kind of defined as uh, what is a rank-and-file union, what are some examples of how people are not organized in a democratic fashion that we would advocate for as a form of rank-and-file movement. And so one of the things that we haven't hit on yet is how do we actually do this? I think that we have a, some really good rhetoric of, of like, you know, we want democracy not just in rhetoric, but also in practice. And so how is it that we learn this? And I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to go and do another shout out to the ALU and their reference of William Z. Foster's organizing methods in the steel industry, which... This is not going to be an exhaustive list of how-tos. I mean, as I mentioned at the very beginning, the, all of our material conditions, are, are they change. They're not exactly the same. Even when we went over the ALU's episode, um, we, we mentioned how they you know, threw out some common practices because they weren't quite working for them, and they went to other things that ended up working really well and leading them to their victory. And so what we're going to do here is we're actually going to go over not the whole text, but some key uh, quotes from the text and kind of discuss what those things actually mean. Um, and so, yeah, let's, let's start that out. Uh, which one of you wants to read the first one? Uh, I can. Uh, so we have some quotes from William Z. Foster's Organizing Methods in the Steel Industry, as Lena said, and these first few are on the need to involve the maximum number of workers, which is really critically important. Uh, and the quote goes, every effort must be made to draw the widest possible ranks of the workers into the activities of the leading decisive committees and also into the work of the organizers and the union generally. Only with such democracy or system systematic mass participation can the great task of building the union be successfully accomplished. And then he also says, a central aim must always be to draw the largest possible masses into direct participation in all the vital activities of the union. Membership recruitment, formulation of demands, union elections, petitions, pledge votes, strike votes, strike organization, etc. This gives them a feeling that the union is actually their movement. And then we have our third quote where he says, the campaign can succeed only if thousands of workers can be organized to help directly in the enrollment of members. This work cannot be done by organizers alone. Their main task is to organize the most active workers among the masses in great numbers to do the recruiting. The tendency common in organization campaigns to leave the signing of new members solely to the organizers and to recruitment in open meetings should be avoided. And I think they're all really great points, but that one in particular, I think, is really borne out by the success of the ALU. Because when mm -hmm. you see interviews with the organizing members who actually put this union together, and there are a ton of them, they they really harp on this point. It was like, not only was I signing people up to to be in the union to sign a card to vote yes, whatever but then they would go out and replicate that behavior and it was that almost you know i'm hesitant to call it viral because it, it's a word that gets overused in the internet era but it's almost like a viral marketing campaign within the body of the workers themselves that really makes this effective 
Yeah, and I and it's similar to that idea of of like burnout that I was mentioning in that like if you only have a very small amount of people doing things, they have limited time. And mm-hmm. if you really wanted them to be able to reach every single member, then they would be spending 20 hours a day doing all of that work and it's just unsustainable in that way and also in that case kind of undemocratic because we actually want to engage all of the working people and tell them that they have the power to bring in other members to actually explain and they should know that's really big part of the organize or of, of the educational part of rank and file unionism is actually letting people know what it means to be in control because with the way that everything is so undemocratic in our lives we actually in some cases get overwhelmed by the idea oh wait we're going to be in charge uh i don't know what to do well and you know the truth is is that they that you people do know what to do they just need a little bit of guidance into you know actually applying what they know to be a democratic structure in going out and reaching every single person and additionally i think that one of the things that's important about this is that we're not just you know if if we have such a small group of people it can very easily become uh you know subject to things like racism and other sorts of like uh, exclusionary policies where, you know, maybe all of the organizer or most of the organizers are, are white or something like that. And they don't actually end up reaching out to some of like the black people who are working on the shops or the queer people who are working on the shops. And, and those, those sorts of very important, uh, aspects of like the workers democracy. And by bringing all of those people in and giving them actual say, we're not only widening the base of participation within the union but we're growing the strength of the union in solidarity with one one another based on our material conditions that we all live under yeah i mean exactly because i think what what you just pointed out i think really hits on something that's important that foster is pointing out here because you know we've done our whole i don't know almost an hour now talk about why from a principled perspective democracy is important from like a, a class perspective why it matters why we should organize that way but from the practical side of things i think what foster hits on especially like yeah in this last selection especially when he says their main task is to organize the most active workers among the masses in great numbers to do the recruiting he's hitting on one of the things about rank and file unionism that when it's actually conducted gives it so much power, which is that like people will point out, Oh, well, if you want everybody in the union to be an organizer, that's going to be so difficult to coordinate. That's so many people. You got to do all this training. That's so many resources. Sure. Yes, it's true. It's a lot of work to make everybody an organizer. But when you do that, the amount of power, that, that that gives the union because instead, oh, we've got 10 organizers going around at this place. Oh, how many people work there? There's a thousand people at this facility. And you, maybe we've taught, if you're doing a rank and file organizing drive and you've convinced a hundred people that, that the union is important and you've gone through this process of training them to be organizers. Now you have a hundred organizers, which is like when you turn everybody in the union into an organizer as, as Foster's advocating here. And again, like this is, this is a pamphlet from the depression. This is from almost a hundred years ago. I think this was written in 1936. Um, and, but that those points are still incredibly important today. And, and as you were saying, John, like is exactly what so many of the key organizers in the ALU talked about being so central Mm -hmm. to their victory. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, many, many hands make light work. I mean, it's folk wisdom, but it, it's really true. You know, it's true. It's the power of the collective. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Absolutely. And the next uh, little section of quotes we have is on uh, fighting the boss's attempt to split workers. And uh, this first one is, uh, the campaign must develop a strong discipline among the organizers and workers in order to prevent the movement from being wrecked by company-inspired local strikes and other disruptive tendencies. The necessary discipline cannot be attained by issuing drastic orders, but must be based upon wide education work among the rank and file and development of confidence among them in the cause and ultimate victory of the movement. And then continuing, special efforts should be made to fight against employer-cultivated craft unions, company unions, anti-foreigner, anti-Negro, and anti-red tendencies among these workers. And that's, again, like a lot of the the issues with racism in those undemocratic structures and and also like like anti-effective organizing when you see anti-communism what you're seeing is a push against effective organizing yeah and and i mean obviously some of the language in this one's a little dated but like he also hits at because i i company like some of this stuff that might seem a bit confusing like company-inspired local strikes, craft union, company union rhetoric. Well, what, what is that? So that sort of language isn't really used now. It was more back in the Depression. But what he's really referring to there is a type of tactic that is still very much used today, which is basically trying to convince one portion of the workers, oh, well, the work you do is skilled work. You... You should be in your. You shouldn't be in this organization with the the unskilled workers. Right. You need your own organization. You should do your. You shouldn't be with them. Which, like, is one of those things that to somebody who hasn't been, you know, doesn't. Which most people have not had, like, you know, class introduction to class analysis. Anti communism is the official religion of the United States, so it's very strong. But so, like, it's that sort of thing can if not inoculated against, have pull with, with some folks. But it's so important to fight against because even though it may sound like sometimes employers, that's a concession saying you should have a union, just not this one. They're trying to find any way to split the workers apart from each other that they can. Like an example of this that we have talked about when we covered the New York Times Tech Guild, one of the things that the New York Times did to try and hamstring their union drive was to say, oh, well, these project managers that we employ who don't have hiring and firing power, they, you know, they're not, it's not like when we talk about management, they don't have the ability to fire workers. They, they don't have the profit incentive to be on the side of the bosses. Right. But we're saying they're different workers. They shouldn't be with all these technical workers as a way to drive the bargaining unit down and to split workers against each other. So this sort of tactic is still constantly used. And so it's really important that like exactly what you were saying, Lena, like he's emphasizing like that we have to fight against racism. We have to fight against sexism. All of these, like the various forms of bigotry that the ruling class uses to split workers against each other, but also that this, any sort of distinction like this, where, whether it's skilled and unskilled workers or any sort of thing like that, that the, the, the could break up the unity of the workers in the union. I've been dreaming of an alternate reality. Colonizers severing our history With a connection to land and earth identity Never feel like where I belong is a mystery Not a ragtag, plastic personality Built upon everything we grew up on TV Isolated in the suburbs from community 
powers unprecedented in unity Surviving, we vibing, living life, and children ain't crying or dying from a broken nation. Families torn apart, incarceration, trade a hoodie for hits, straight gentrification, and assimilated to a world alienation. Even with the evil empire reign, and plus, every single system working against us, we still trendsetters, go getters. With nothing, we make a world better. Could you imagine if we never got robbed? If our land and our labor was stolen by the bourgeois, if we weren't targeted by the law, but we coming out on top of the elected or not? Dystopia, so the system thrives, worked out violent screams. But the people gonna wake up and break up because it's not a dream. We're gonna eat the rich, we're gonna feed the kids when there's nothing left to eat. And y'all been warned about your greed, exploiting for your salary. And so